All right, hi everyone and welcome to Compass Point, the podcast from the Center for Public Policy at VCU's Wilder School. My name is Brittany Keegan and I'm the Director of Research and Outreach here at the CPP. As the coronavirus pandemic continues and as vaccination campaigns begin, the importance of health equity is frequently discussed. Today I'm here with Dr. Shelley Smith, a clinical associate professor and the director of VCU's DNP program in the Department of Adult Health and Nursing Systems. So Shelley, thank you so much for being here today. Um, before we begin, is there anything else that you'd like to say to introduce yourself? No, I just wanna say thank you for the opportunity. In addition to my faculty role, I continue to practice as a nurse practitioner um, and the program in which I direct at the School of Nursing is a graduate program. So all of our students are working nurses uh, who are exploring a graduate degree. So I think that those two facts give me a unique perspective of the pandemic. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate you being here. All right, so let's get started. Um, to begin, could you please tell us about maybe what are some of the major health equity issues that we've seen arise due to the pandemic? Yeah, sure. I think it's helpful to sort of define a bit about what we mean when we say the word health equity. We hear it a lot. Um, and the CDC has a pretty simple definition that health equity means that everyone has the opportunity to be as healthy as possible. So I think what the pandemic has really brought to light is not necessarily the rising up of inequity, but just highlighting inequity that already existed. And there are five basic categories that impact health equity, which include neighborhood and physical environment, health and health care, occupation or job conditions, income and wealth, and finally education. These are upstream factors that impact long-term health outcomes. So the pandemic has helped to highlight the impact of social determinants of health on health and wellness outcomes. Um, I think we see a lot about that when we talk about health disparities among certain socioeconomic groups and uh, ethnic groups and races. But I also think that there's a good opportunity with the pandemic to think about health equity in a proactive manner. For example, we don't yet know the impact of how school closures are gonna impact health in the long-term for adolescents and our youth but we know that there will be one because we know that education and access to education is a social determinant of health that is directly related to health equity. So while we're seeing some real um, issues come to light, I think there's also an opportunity to be uh, forward thinking about this as we respond to the pandemic. It's really just highlighting things that have always existed, but really brought some national attention to them. And that's a great point, especially trying to be proactive, like you said, with the school questions rather than just reacting to the issues that we're already seeing. Do you know if any attempts have been made to address any of the issues um, that you just discussed? And if there have been attempts, do you have a sense of how they've been going? Sure, yeah. I think that in general, there have been some legislative attempts to address some of the problems that we're currently seeing. For example, we saw legislation around housing and um, eviction monitoriums, unemployment benefits extension, and access to care. Uh, an example of access to care would be that when ambulatory care shut down to comply with social distancing and pre preserve personal protective equipment, we saw waivers enacted for telehealth. Telehealth has long been established as an effective treatment modality and, and appropriate healthcare 
venue, but its uptake has been historically slow. And it was largely due to organizational barriers around payment parity um, and some other uh, just organizational constraints. And what waivers did was they eliminated those organizational barriers to help uptake. And we did see an enormous uptake in telehealth as a treatment modality, but what we stopped short of was legislative efforts that help with the infrastructure around broadband. So while we did some things to increase access to care, we didn't go the full, the full benefit, if you will. We, we got rid of some red tape, but we didn't really address the root cause for many of our vulnerable populations who just don't have access to broadband or it's simply unaffordable. Another, another thing that we've sort of seen is vaccinations. Uh, we saw record fast development of the vaccine using science that we've had around for quite some time, well-developed science in immunization development, but we were able to overcome some barriers by expediting approval and again, eliminating some red tape. We had a large investment by the government to uh, stimulate uh, the creation of vaccines, but yet the rollout has been a problem. And we've seen pockets of effectiveness. I think a good example of that is right here at BCU. We have a student core of volunteers that are working with the Virginia Department of Health to help administer vaccines. And they're targeting areas like the Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority, where we know people are disenfranchised and have less access to healthcare. So I think that there have been both broad legislative attempts and then pockets of really effective um, grassroots initiatives for lack of a better term. So I think that while we're seeing a lot of the problems with healthcare and our structure of healthcare coming to light, we're also seeing some fast change that we don't usually experience in healthcare. And then that kind of brings up another question that I've heard people um, mentioning is that, you know, some of the um, issues that we're seeing now, like you said, aren't necessarily new. And you know, like you said, if there are pockets where things are being addressed, but if it's not universal, what might that mean for future pandemics or similar events? Um, so looking forward, what should policymakers and health professionals and even the general public be doing to help prevent or reduce or continue addressing um, some of these inequities that we're currently seeing? Right, and I, I think to use a phrase that gets kicked around in public policy, you know, it's a wicked problem. It's, it's complex, but I think there's sort of a simple approach that we could all take on an individual level. And that is to think about avoiding engagement in partisan rhetoric and to not politicize things that don't need to be politicized, but rather operate from the space that most of us operate from of what's good policy that enables people to be the healthiest that they can be. And that really does speak to those upstream factors. So looking for opportunities to address health and wellness in a more pervasive approach, as opposed to only looking at healthcare reform and avoiding the idea that something is all right or all wrong. And I think that that's one thing we've really sort of learned from the pandemic is that Change doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes we just we just got to move in the right direction. And so rather than being change averse, you know, being open minded about that and, and not seeing a potential solution as 
being all wrong or all right, but yet just a piece of the bigger puzzle. Do you have a sense of what resources we might be currently missing or that we might need to build up um, in order to put more of those pieces together? Yeah, I think that's a difficult question. And I would say that a little bit about my previous answer in that, you know, healthcare is not particularly partisan, but as a society, we have made it that way. And we need to have a less reactive approach to health and wellness. The World Health Organization and the CDC, among other thought leaders, endorse this idea of health in all policies. It's called a HIAP approach. It's a simple readjustment to the lens at which we view legislation, considering implications on health upstream as opposed to always treating the downstream. We've spent most of our resources in healthcare treating acute disruptions in health, and that's very expensive and often ineffective. And so as opposed to uh, treating these acute disruptions, maybe we should shift our focus to prevent illness. I, I think an example of that is we know that Virginia saw nearly a 40% increase in the rate of opioid-related deaths in the first half of 2020. And that you know, will need to be parsed out and studied, but you can't help but say that that's a direct result of people's mental stress and uh, emotional well-being during the pandemic. So is there time to think about how we can address mental health and mental wellness by addressing upstream factors, helping people have affordable housing, helping people have access to food, helping people have access to um, healthcare at the right time, at the right place for the right problem. I think that these are things that we should think about and we, as we think about healthcare and all policies, as opposed to just looking at health policies. So I think that the resources we need should be invested on primary prevention mechanisms um, as opposed to always being in a response. Obviously with COVID, we, we certainly had to be in a response mode and, and we're, we're doing the best that we can, but I think there's an opportunity to be forward thinking about health as we uh, hopefully uh, move past the current state of the pandemic and into a second new normal, if you will. And that's a great point. And I agree that, you know, hopefully as the vaccination campaign continues and hopefully we'll see numbers continue to go down. But if we can get to that second new normal and maybe have some time to breathe and really start taking a more proactive approach, um, that would you know, certainly help maybe solve future challenges too. So, you know, thank you so much again for being here. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to add or to discuss? I just think that as most of the conversation alluded to, the pandemic's been really difficult for most Americans. We've had sort of a an ugly light sh to shine on the health disparities that exist in our population. We've felt stressed and overwhelmed. We've dealt with death and despair, and it's been a really hard time. But I think there's also been some really exciting pockets of hope and opportunity. You know, change is usually really slow in a complex system, but our response to COVID-19 made us adopt and implement change quickly and in real time. And we were successful in many scenarios in healthcare. And I think we have a real opportunity to reconsider our process for change and the value of thinking quickly on our feet and to investigate these changes that we rapidly uptook at the bedside to make patients better. 
um, quickly and respond to preservation of PPE and use new technology and, and sort of really change the way we took care of folks in real time. I think now we have an opportunity to investigate and learn from that, what worked and what didn't work so that we can inform our practice moving forward. Absolutely. So thank you again, Shelly, for being here. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to share your expertise with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that the center is looking at healthcare and health equity. It's certainly been on everyone's mind, so I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, and I think this is definitely something that we'll continue to explore. So, but maybe we'll talk to you again in the future. Hey, thanks, take care. You too, and thank you everyone for listening and please join us again for the next episode of Compass Point.